But who can endure the day of his coming? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. In the name of Jesus, amen. Refiner's fire and fuller's soap. A couple images. The first one, you, you might kind of understand this process where you heat up a really uh, a precious metal to high temperatures in order to burn off the impurities, burning away those pollutions. Uh, the second one, I had to look up. What's a fuller? Uh, it turns out a fuller is uh, the last person uh, who acts in the process of turning uh, wool into fabric. You know, the wool from the sheep is woven in, or uh, twisted into threads and then woven into sheets. But because it's still all dirty and oily from the sheep and probably the weaver's hands as well, it then goes to the fuller. The fuller who takes this uh, shallow basin, this is how it's done in ancient times anyway, uh, shallow basin with water and soap. Um, fun fact, which hopefully is not the only one you remember from the sermon. Um, fun fact, in Roman times, not sure about Malachi's day, but in Roman times, the preferred fuller soap was, get this, human urine, yuck. <laughs> it was so precious, in fact, that there was a tax on it back in Roman times. Probably not important for the sermon, but a fun fact. Anyway, a fuller's uh, basin with water and soap, whatever that might be, and then the barefooted fuller would get in um, with the fabric in the basin and then stomp on the, the fabric in that basin to also make the fabric stronger um, to clean, to clean the fabric, get rid of all those um, oils and dirts and impurities. So stomp out the, stomp out the dirt. And that's a fuller. And along with the refiner's fire, that's the image. That's the image that Malachi uses to describe what the ones whom he calls the messenger and then the one the messenger prepares the way for, who he calls somewhat confusingly the messenger of the covenant, what these two will do when they come. They'll come and stomp, stomp, burn, burn. Some pretty hard-hitting images. Which is why, you might guess, that this Old Testament gets paired up with a gospel reading that gives us the hard-hitter John the Baptist. Malachi wrote some four or five centuries before that wilderness preacher came onto the scene, but it's about him, about John, and he whose way John came to prepare Jesus. It's about John and Jesus, the messenger and the messenger of the covenant to whom Malachi was ultimately pointing and it's John especially in those images. It's, John, uh, it's in John that those images, purifying fire and soapy stomping, put on flesh and take up a voice. You brood of vipers. The axe at the root of the tree. Where's your fruit? And don't even start on me with your Abraham bit. Stomp, stomp, burn, burn. Repent, repent. Again, some pretty hard-hitting words. In fact, maybe they're the kind of hard-hitting words that you really would rather not hear this morning. Maybe like many uh, on Sunday, you came here pre-hit, and so you'd really rather have some other sort of message. Maybe you liked last week's sermon about how we will make music with whatever remains because we are within earshot of the heavenly chorus. I kind of like that sermon myself, that image. But then you show up this morning, instead of music, it's stomp, stomp, burn, burn, repent, repent. 
And if you, if you didn't like that, by the way, you're, you're kind of in the same position as those to whom uh, Malachi addressed his prophecy and, and John in his day as well. You read those first lines of, of the reading from Malachi. Oh, people, you will seek the Lord. It's the one in whom you delight. And then the Lord comes. The Lord and his messenger comes, and it's who can endure? Who can stand in soap and fire? Similarly with John, he's out there in the wilderness preaching. Big crowds. Oh, what's the scene all about? Let's go see. It'll be a nice day for a picnic. And the folks come out there and shoot brood of vipers. You brood of vipers. They come out there looking for a hug and, and a scene, and he gives them, repent, you beasts. What is this all about? And hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous, they have this thing called the big book. It's kind of like their Bible. And, and if you were to do one of those, um, one of those word cloud things about it, and, you know, it picks out the most important or the most repeated word in a book, no matter which word would be right in the middle, it would probably be alcohol or alcoholism, but one of the really big words would be honesty. You can't read a more than a, a page or two than something about honesty. It says rigorous honesty, fearless honesty, humble honesty, 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 honesty. In a, in a, in a well-known passage at the beginning of, of chapter 5, which is entitled How It Works, um, it, it begins that chapter it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are usually people who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. What a line. Constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. It goes on, there are such unfortunates. They've probably been born that way. There are those two who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. You know, following Jesus, attending to his prophets like Malachi and John the Baptist, um, it's a lot like being an AA. At least it should be. It's probably closer to say um, that being an AA is what following Jesus and attending to his prophets looks like when you're besetting sin or when your deeper sins manifest themselves as a dependence on alcohol. But either way, the point is, this is a whole lot about honesty. Honesty about who God is, yes, but before that, or at least along with that, honesty about who we are, in fact, I'm pretty sure what that's uh, honesty is what all this stuff about the stomp, stomp, burn, burn, repent, repent is all about. The brood of vipers and the axes at the root. I kind of think that that is God coming to each and every one of us, to we unfortunate, unfortunates, folks who unless left to themselves truly are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. That is a rare thing. That all this stomp, stomp, burn, burn, repent, repent. Hey, what if that is God saying to each and one of every one of us, hey guys, gals, I know this is going to be hard to swallow, but you have a grave mental and emotional disorder. I know you like to pick out other people's disorders, but hey, you've got one too. It might be more socially acceptable and hideable than alcoholism, but you've got one, maybe a bunch. 
And here's the deal. With a big chunk of honesty and an even more massive chunk of grace, you and I, we're going to tackle this. In fact, I think that word honesty, it's a good normal word, right? Honesty, honest A, whatever. I think that might be a good substitute, at least in general, for the much more churchy word repent, repentance. We think of repent and it's all sackcloth and ashes and tears and feeling really, really bad after something you've done. Maybe even feeling bad enough to somehow earn with your remorse some sort of good graces. But that's not really what uh, repentance is. John comes and says repent. He's saying stop pretending. Stop pretending you're something you're not. Be honest with yourself, your stains and your impurities. Be honest so that the God who is full of truth and grace can do something about them. And when you start seeing this repentance thing, the stomp, stomp, burn, burn, as more like this honesty, you might even say to yourself, maybe this isn't so hard to swallow after all. Maybe, maybe all this stuff that I've got, all these stains that we keep secret, um, uh, what if there was a way to deal with them? What if they didn't have to be secret? What if you didn't have to pretend to be good? What if instead of a club for the pure and clean, the church, this church, was an outpatient clinic where the polluted and stained enter recovery? Doesn't that sound better? In fact, when you look at it that way, um, when Malachi comes asking who can endure the day of the Lord, who can stand, who wants to be there when he appears, instead of like not making eye contact with the prophet, you might raise your hands and say, me first, because I've got stuff. I've got stuff that needs to be cleansed away. I mean, don't you have stuff that you want cleaned away? Again, we're being honest and not honest and not going to ask you to raise your hand and start talking things like you might in an AA meeting. Although saying these things out loud and to someone somewhere often is very important. But isn't there stuff, impurities, stains, fill in your four-letter word, whatever your propensity to mess things up and break people? Things you just want burned off. Think of all sorts of stuff. I saw an Andrew Sullivan um, read essay once once upon a time. I can't even remember what the fuller gist to the thing was. But in there he talked about a dinner party he'd been at and, and talking to uh, a married couple separately. A man and a woman, two different conversations, same night. And how these two conversations were virtually identical. In in both of the conversations, both the husband and the wife told him how they had recently begun taking antidepressants and seeing a therapist, but how neither of them dared to share that with their spouse for fear that it would make them appear appear weak and it would be used against them in marital spats. (laughs) How sad, right? (laughs) 
How, how sad. Could not be honest with one another about their weaknesses. Too polluted by pride to reveal to one another their cracks. Too stained by self-righteousness to care about anything else than staying armed for the next argument. I mean, who wouldn't want that kind of stain washed off? If that was your marriage, or heck, if it is your marriage, wouldn't you want, don't you want that burned away? And all that other stuff, too. I'm going to told you about Fred before. Fred was a guy who uh, attends um, some of the AA meetings that meet here. Just making up a name. He likes to tell the story about how he first started coming to AA. He's like in his 80s now. And he first started coming to AA um, some 50 years ago, basically because his wife gave him an ultimatum. He likes to say he was really good at being drunk. He just stunk at being sober. And so his wife was sick of him and said, you got to do something. you got to at least try AA. Um, he didn't want to go because he didn't want to be branded as one of those people. That's what he'd say. Do you want to be one of those people who were weak, who uh, couldn't handle their own stuff, who needed other people and a higher power to at least begin to get a handle on things? Do you want to be one of those people? But again, also wanted to stay married, so he thought he'd give AA a try. Figured he'd try it on Christmas Eve because he thought that maybe the meeting, he thought the meeting would be canceled. <laughs> so he could at least tell his wife that, well, I tried. So again, on the, way, on the way to the bar, literally on the way to a bar on Christmas Eve some 50 years ago, Fred uh, went to the AA meeting, assuming they'd be closed so he could get on um, to getting drunk. Um, but they weren't canceled. AA seldom's canceled. And so he went in. There was honesty there. Changed his life. And for the last 50 years... He's been attending those meetings at least once a week. For the last 50 years, he's been one of those people. Not someone who's been perfect in his sobriety, by the way, um, but still one of those people, knowing that he's in need of that kind of help and powerless to cleanse himself. You know, you're one of those people too. That's kind of John and Malachi's message. And so am I. Maybe not an alcoholic, but maybe that. But you're one of those people. You are spotted and stained. In fact, that's so true, it's, it's, this, it's, it's the uh, second. It's the second truest thing about you. You're one of those people. Well, the truest thing? Well, the truest thing is that you're one of Jesus' people. There's a, our last verse of the reading says, John went about with many uh, similar exhortations preaching the good news to the people. Which is really a weird way to end a reading, which is all about stomp, stomp, burn, burn, repent, and rent. He preached the good news. You might ask yourselves, how, how can that be? How can that be? Is that because those people are Jesus' people? We are those people. But that's only the second truest thing about you. The truest thing about you is that you are Jesus' people. And that's really good news. 
Even if a bit hard to swallow, that's really good news. Such good news that we can thank. We can thank John and Malachi for the honest reminder that I am those people, that I am a sinner. Thank you, John and Malachi, for the reminder that we are big, juicy sinners for. Turns out that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, loves a big, fat, juicy sinner. We, we, can, we can thank them even for all the stomp, stomp, and burn, burn. We can thank the Lord for that. For the Lord knows how much stomp, stomp, burning, and burning we need. We can take that because we know that the foot, the naked foot doing the stomping, is the foot that in eternal love bore nails for you and me. The fuller soap, oh, it might sting on occasion. It might sting every time, but I can bear the fuller soap because I know it is borne by the one who is full of love. I can even bear to face the fact that I have grave mental and emotional disorders because I can face that in the embrace of the one who left the grave for me. I can face the fact that I'm one of those people in need of the stomp, stomp, burning, burning, and all that. Because that's only the second truest thing about me. And that's the truest thing about me. And about you. And about everybody, actually. The truest thing is that they are Jesus' people. Eternally beloved and forgiven and washed and cleaned. Jesus' people. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.